I'm excited to introduce our guest today. He is an author of the upcoming book, The Progressive Case for Bitcoin. Jason Meyer, welcome to the show. Thank you, Q. I'm so happy to be here. I'm really looking forward to the conversation. So Jason, for our audience who is not as familiar with you, give us a little bit of background. You are a teacher as well. Where do you teach? And of course, the golden question or the orange question of how did you first come across Bitcoin? Yeah. So I'm a math teacher. I'm a high school math teacher in Connecticut. I teach at a private school up here and just have always been into math and computer science and puzzles and things like that. And, you know, like probably everyone else, I have two like orange pilling moments, right? A few years ago, I found out that, oh, you can just hook your laptop up to this thing called slush pool. And I couldn't get access through my school. So I drove to the next town over hooked up in a McDonald's, used their Wi-Fi and hooked my laptop up to, <laughs> to Slushpool. This must have been like 2011, 2012, something like that. And then didn't know what the hell I was doing, right? I thought that mining for Bitcoin meant like they're just searching through like a bunch of data, you know what I mean? <laughs> oh, we found it. And so I didn't understand it, had no conviction, closed the laptop, never went back to McDonald's. And then, you know, I just forgot about it. Fast forward a few years and I have a good buddy of mine who was into it and essentially was just like, hey, what are you doing with your stimulus checks? Like you should be buying Bitcoin. Really, again, heard of it, obviously, and had a sense that it might be something to look into. So I did. I'm a completely risk averse person. And so my first Bitcoin purchase was for like $20. And then I said, oh no, I need to go learn about it. I need to learn as much as I can about Bitcoin. I'm already $20 into it. And if I lose this money, then I'm going to have to talk to my wife or something and explain what I did wrong. So that's that's how I got started. A buddy of mine said, hey, look at it. And I did. And you know, my very first sort of exposure, I just want to learn how the technology worked. I had no sort of exposure to like the social layer of Bitcoin and on Twitter. Or anything like that. I was just looking up like nuts and bolts, like how, what does a computer do? And so that, you know, I got a conviction through that lens and that was a couple of years ago and, you know, it's been a wild journey since. So, yeah. I, I love that. And I feel like everyone has that, as you said, like sort of the, the two moments, the first moment where you're like, now what is this? And then of course the second moment where like someone that you probably have to spend the rest of your life thinking. I actually took the time to be like, no, stop, stop. Just ignore everything you've ever learned about money, about just everything. Mm -hmm. And let's relearn this together. And, that, and that's what it was like, right? You just, you sort of have to relearn everything. And, you know, you start asking really hard questions that if you can think back to the beginning of your journey, what is money and not knowing, right? Not knowing the answer to that question. You're like, what, what are we doing? <laughs> and, you know, just like everyone else, like I dove head first and the more I learned, the more I wanted to learn, the more I learned, the more I wanted to, to own it and to be a part of this. And of course, the more I learned, the more I wanted the people that I loved and care about around me to just own it or understand it or learn about it. I, I think it's hard to really understand Bitcoin and not want other people to, to be involved with it too. So that's where, that's where I came from. Yeah. Yeah. It's like this moral imperative, this like burning, like I have to talk about Bitcoin. <laughs> <You're> right. <laughs> yeah. All the time, all the time. 24 <laughs> yeah, seven. Yep. Well, I want to, I want to unpack. So in your book in the chapter that we were able to read, I, th I think let's just start literally at that very first scene that you set the stage. I I'm assuming we're, we're in your classroom now yeah. and I I'll let you sort of tell the story of what happened when you expressed at least to your colleagues, mm. your interest in Bitcoin. Yeah. So in, in my department, in the math department, we have shared offices. So, you know, like I have a desk and, you know, there's four other people in the, in that office with me that have desks around me. And above my desk is, you know, my little bulletin board with my Beatles posters and all that other stuff. And I decided one day I was going to come in and I just printed off like on the school computer or printer, I printed off like eight and a half by 11 little like Bitcoin, you know, Dr. Satoshi, a little like propaganda poster. And I put that up there on the, on the bulletin board. And I didn't know what to expect at that time. You know, I hadn't been in Bitcoin for a long time. It was a couple of years ago. So, you know, my expectation was just to be laughed at, right? Like chuckle. Oh, this is, you're falling for a scam or something. You don't really understand what you're doing. And I thought maybe in my 
like best case scenario, I might find somebody else who's into Bitcoin that I worked with, right? Somebody would wander into my office, see that, and then strike up a conversation. And what I got was completely different. I just, the, <laughs> the woman who worked next to me and her desk was next to me saw that Bitcoin poster and absolutely, literally gasped. She's like, how, like, how could you do this? You are, you're ruining the planet. And I don't want like the environment ruined for this fake money and just sort of implying that I was like this monster and just doing this horrible thing. And I was like shocked. I was shocked. I, I had no idea that that was going to be the reaction. And, you know, that, that was an eye-opening moment for me. It's like, all right, this, this is a person who means well. She clearly cares about things in the world, you know, and she, she has good intentions and she's you know, plugged into Elizabeth Warren, right? Like she's, she's hearing that kind of stuff, right? So that was just sort of a, a, an absolute turning point for me and my understanding of what Bitcoin was and what it means to various different people that I was sort of ignorant to before that. Oh, I want to I spend a lot of time today, I think, unpacking like just that story because we, we talk a lot on this show. Bitcoin is for everyone and everyone means enemies too. And I think mm -hmm. that's something that gets lost, especially a day after an election that was so polarizing where everyone right. was was pushing this us versus them narrative. Regardless of what side of uh, you are on, the narrative was always us versus them. Right. And we see countries like Russia and Iran openly admit that, hey, we're going to accept Bitcoin to finalize international trade. Why? Why do we think countries that are sanctioned by the U.S. and can't use the U.S. dollar see viability in a currency that is both trustless and can have instant transactions completed? You're also seeing these conversations here domestically from different pundits saying, hey, Bitcoin can help us look at the state of Texas, or Bitcoin is going to melt the polar ice caps, right. your example of Elizabeth Warren. Yeah. I'd love to just, you know, let's have this like roundtable discussion of we're going into Thanksgiving. P and I are banned from Thanksgiving family dinners. I had a call around <laughs> to finally get reinvited just yeah. under the guise of no Bitcoin talk. So I negotiated <laughs> it down to I get one hour of a Bitcoin pitch and I need a help. Yeah. I need a little help framing this pitch. But like, how do we bridge this gap? Because you you make mention in in, in the chapter of it won't work if Bitcoin will not work if it becomes this idea that it's only for the right. It's only for Republicans. And you just leave 30, 40, 50% of the country just sort of like aside, not to mention yeah. the other half of the world as a whole. Mm -hmm. What are steps we can try to take to help bridge this gap? Yeah. And, and and I think what you just highlighted is the issue is like what I'm most afraid of, right? Like I, I sat down one day and and realized that all of the resources that I had, like I was making an argument to my coworker, I was making an argument to the people around me that I know and I care about. And I was able to have those conversations well, but like all of the resources that I was pointing people to, to learn more about Bitcoin, not all, but a lot of them had either an explicit right-leaning political like bent, or maybe an implicit, or it was just sort of assumed with a wink and a nod, like obviously you're not like some, you know, liberal communist, right? Ha ha. And, and so I was just worried that there, there wasn't a resource out there to just sort of hand to people. And, and it's like, you can have those conversations one-on-one. -on -one. I think that the bridging the gap is, is really just sort of meeting people where they are, right? Like finding out like what it is that they care about and figuring out how Bitcoin fits into that right? There, there's no shortage of people on the left, like the political left in the United States, who think that we are going down the wrong path and the system's broken and the system's rigged and the system favors certain people over other people. This is like what you hear about. And what what's missing from that conversation among those left-leaning people is, can we zoom out a little bit and look at the system a little bit you know, more closely and say, hey, what are the pieces of the system that are broken and, and how can Bitcoin potentially you know, resolve those issues, fix them, move us in the right direction. And so depending on what the person really cares about, then you can probably just sort of frame your conversation with that person in a more effective way. And, you know, like I said, I'm a, I'm a teacher as my day job. That's, that's what I do day to day. And so the idea of connecting with people and figuring out what it is that's going to help them understand or resonate with them or motivate them to learn more, that's what I do, right? So it was exciting to have this idea say, oh, 
there's a whole population out there of pre-coiners that don't really know a lot about Bitcoin. Like all they all they really know is like what they hear from maybe from political um, people on the left or what they hear from the media. And there's a real vacuum to say, oh, there, you know, Bitcoin is not a liberal thing or a progressive thing. But if that if if that lens helps those people come to it and continue to learn more, then there's there's an opportunity there. The big fear and the motivator for me writing the book was I really saw the the potential for Bitcoin to become a political football like everything else, right? There's a list of of 12 things, maybe even more. And if you tell me what you think about one of them, then I can tell you what you think about the other 11, right? That is sort of, we're so polarized and entrenched in our political beliefs. And I don't want Bitcoin to be one of those things. I want Bitcoin to sort of be like the internet or email, like, you know, you use it and it doesn't imply anything about your political affiliation. So that that was the motivation to sort of avoid that not say that would definitely happen, but I feel like there's there's a risk of that. So that's my goal. I think that's so important because to your point, Bitcoin should be viewed as, you know, DP or, you know, whatever specific internet protocol it is that fundamental and that basic. And I feel like a lot of the arguments against Bitcoin, for whatever reason, are currently most associated with more left-leaning you know, political views. You know, there's like ESG and all these things. And so it's why I'm so excited you're writing this book because I think, you know, you don't, you may not agree with, you know, quote unquote, progressive political people or leaders, but you absolutely should want them, if you are a Bitcoiner, to understand the value of Bitcoin because we have got to cut these false narratives out at the knees. And Mm -hmm. this is one of the most effective ways to do it by creating you know, literature and by having conversations with people on all sides of the political spectrum so that we yeah. can really bring everyone together. Yeah. And and I think that that's, that's really the key question, right? There, there are millions, tens of millions of people out there who don't know a lot about Bitcoin and who vote for Democrats. And you might not like that. You might not like the fact that they vote for left-leaning politicians. That's fine. But who, the question is, who do you want to explain Bitcoin to them, right? Do you want like a liberal progressive Bitcoiner to explain it to them and sort of say, hey, here's here's how it works. Here's why it's useful. Here's, you know, here's where you can go to learn more. Or do you want Elizabeth Warren explaining Bitcoin to those people, right? I mean, who do you want? Or the, I guess the third option is you just don't believe that Bitcoin is for everybody and, you know, it's not money for everybody, right? I guess if you want to just sort of cut out half of the population, I'm not down with that. But if you if you go on the assumption that Bitcoin is for everybody, and we got to get the other half of this population like involved and excited and, and knowledgeable about it. Who do you want to do that educating? Do you want, you know, like some politician out there who thinks that Bitcoin is, you know, horrible? Or do you want somebody who can kind of like connect with these people? Isn't going to shut, you know, they're not going to shut me out automatically just because of, of my political leaning. So that's that. I think that's a really critical question. I, I want to piggyback, Jason, off of what you said, because I... I, I absolutely love it. And there's something inherently, I think, flawed in some Bitcoiners' logic. And some some of them genuinely do get it. And the point I want to make is, you know, Bitcoiners tend to be these freedom-oriented people. A lot of them like value freedom. But my challenge and my sort of call out is do you believe in freedom for everything that you want to do, or do you believe in freedom for everything you also disagree with? Because to me, real freedom is not me getting to say everything that I think, believe in doing what I want to do, but it's also those ideas that I don't agree with, having an environment and a place where they can be openly discussed and shared. Because that that to me is what real freedom is. That This idea of, well, you said that thing and that's a bad thing because I said so, so that you can't have that idea. Like that's That, my friends, is not freedom. But many of you on Bitcoin Twitter try to push these types of narratives, just like how I like to point out Bitcoin Twitter it hates cancel culture, but will always be the first people to cancel people. Now, I, yes. respect, <laughs> I respect and love the fact that we no longer see Nick Carter's star rising. I, I do appreciate that to a degree. I just, I urge us as Bitcoiners to get comfortable being uncomfortable because the next 10 years are not going to be comfortable. It's not going to be a lot of Lamborghinis and mansions. It's going to be a a lot more pain. I want to, I want to present this question MP, if you want to take it 
I essentially, I want to play out a few different scenarios that I don't want to spend the whole time doing this, but let's play out a few scenarios while we have Jason of, I value, let's just say the environment. And we see that conversation a lot, especially from, from the left. Let's think tank this a little bit. Like how do we attack the idea that, oh, Bitcoin uses too much energy. I don't want to see us shift from what we ha- the system we have now to a system that's going to require even more energy to be used in a time and place in history when we're trying to not use as much energy as we are. What is the conversation there? I want to start with P because I know where you're going to start and I, I want to sort of have that discussed and then Jason, I'll, I'll turn it to you. Sure. Can you restate the questions? I think you, I, you cut out right at the beginning. Essentially, let's just say an individual that the three of us are talking to has expressed that they don't like Bitcoin because they love the environment and they think Ah, it's bad for the environment. Got it. Yeah, I would, (laughs) you know, just which buttons to press. I mean, there's a lot of- They also, they they don't want us to be using more energy. Yeah, exactly. I think that there is a, a narrative, which I consider to be bullshit, which is that we should not be using energy. We should not be expanding our ability to take energy that is locked up in various sources and and use it to better, you know, humans basically, human human society. I think that's a false thing, but I think the most the most repetitive arguments that are made are around the idea that bitcoin uses too much energy. And it's easy to approach that from the perspective of clearly you don't know what you're talking about. You don't care about that actual item. You can mention things like Christmas lights use more energy than than the entire Bitcoin network just over the holiday months. You can talk about clothes dryers and washing machines. 90% of people in the United States or whatever the actual figure is use clothes dryers and washing machines. And those consume just in the United States vastly more energy than the entire Bitcoin network does. There's all these things that... And, but I actually don't think that is the most salient part of that kind of debunking, right? We shouldn't need to justify the energy cost of Bitcoin. The reality is if you are buying electricity, if you are paying electricity, if, somebody, if you go to somebody and they say, I will sell you electricity at this rate, you should be able to do what you want with that electricity, end of conversation, end of story. And for some reason, people don't understand that. They love to just harp on this. And most of the facts and figures that are mentioned in these kinds of arguments are just totally spurious. That'd be my my brief take, sort of brief. What do you think, Jason? I mean, there's there's a there's a ton to unpack there. I'll say in my book, the the environmentalist chapter is the longest longest chapter, <laughs> as it should be. I think as it should be, right? Like this is this is the number one thing. So so I think that there's to your point, P, like the idea. Of, okay, well, let's compare Bitcoin energy usage to other things. That's that might resonate with some people, but I, I agree with you. That's not really the way to go because those things can change and Bitcoin energy use can change. I think that there's also, I agree with you completely. I'm going to go out and buy electricity at a going rate. And this is the market rate. I'm going to buy it. I could do whatever I want with it. I agree with that logic. I also don't, from a just first principles standpoint, I don't necessarily think that like it's wrong for people to use their free speech to like pressure people or make, you know, help people make other decisions with what, you know, whether or not they're using energy in the in a good way. So I think that there's a good conversation to be had. You're not like limiting people's ability to use the energy, but maybe making them think about it is important. I think for me, the number one thing that resonates with the people I talk to is to really think carefully about what is the energy being used for? Is it a useful, is it an important, useful use of that resource? And, you know, and I think that the baseline assumption by most progressive people who know very little about Bitcoin is that because it's this fake internet money that any use of electricity is a waste. So I think that the number one step for me when I'm having conversations with people like on the political left is to really get them to understand that there is value and and functionality and use in this technology. It's important technology for Americans. It's important technology all around the world. And it's actually very valuable to use electricity for important things. The conversation extends past that to say, all right, well, if we can get people on board, I'm glossing over this, but if I can get people on board with saying, all right, well, the energy use is important, then I think it's absolutely a valid argument or discussion to have. Say, okay, well, is it efficient? Is it green? Can it be more green? Can it help the environment? Like, how? what is the damage? I don't think there's problems in discussing those things because, but that has to come sort of second. I think that you have to really convince somebody that the energy use is not a waste just inherently. I think that a lot of people start from that base assumption. Um, and 
nobody's going to be able to reach them if their opening line is, well, I don't, I think that climate change is wrong, or I think ESG is a hoax or whatever, whatever it is, you're just not going to reach those people. And you can believe those things and you can have that, you know, but if your goal is to actually change a heart and mind about somebody who really truly cares about the environment, you have to have a good faith conversation with them from where they are. And I think the energy usage and like the importance of why Bitcoin exists and why we need it is a good place to start because otherwise it doesn't really matter that it uses less than Christmas lights. It's just not useful and any use is a waste. So I think that that's one of the venues that I would start that conversation. And of course, it would be a very long, complicated conversation with most people that care about this stuff, you know. Hey guys, this is Q from Bitcoin Magazine Live. As the world moves increasingly towards the mainstream adoption of Bitcoin and other digital assets, Moon Mortgage will make it possible to materialize your assets in real estate. Through the collateralization of mortgages with Bitcoin and other digital assets, Moon Mortgage will be launching lending solutions to allow investors to easily leverage their assets to purchase investment in owner-occupied properties. Moon Mortgage's crypto mortgage will be launching soon for home buyers in Texas, Florida, and Colorado, and will be open to investors in most states across the U.S. for investment properties. Welcome to the future of mortgages. Visit moonmortgage.io today to register your interest and learn more. Moon Mortgage Residential is registered with the NMLS under number 235334. The Bitcoin Magazine Podcast is brought to you by CrowdHealth. With open enrollment upon us, what if you didn't have to pay healthcare premiums anymore? What if you can invest in Bitcoin instead? With CrowdHealth, you can choose your doctors, put aside money for your health expenses in your own account, and even hold a large part of it in Bitcoin. Pay one low monthly total to fund an account that is yours. If a large expense comes up, CrowdHealth will crowdfund the bill for you to pay quickly. Go to CrowdHealthBTC.com and use code BTCMAG and experience freedom from health insurance by utilizing Bitcoin. Right now, through the end of the year, you can get your first six months for just $99 per month. Don't get stuck in a bad insurance plan again. Instead, go to CrowdHealthBTC.com and use code BTCMAG to sign up. CrowdHealth is not health insurance. It's a totally different way of paying for healthcare. Terms and conditions may apply. Come celebrate Bitcoin winter in Miami at Bitcoin 2023. The largest Bitcoin conference in the world returns to Miami from May 18th to the 20th. Head on over to b.tc forward slash conference to get your tickets today. Use promo code BMLIVE to get 10% off of your tickets before prices go up. If you're like me and want to gain a deeper understanding of what's going on within the Bitcoin market and broader macro environment, you need to subscribe to Bitcoin Magazine Pro today. There's both a free and paid version of this daily newsletter where our market analysts break down what's going on in the markets so you don't have to. Subscribe today at BitcoinMagazinePro.com. And I, I want to also just, you know, unpack this idea around like how energy is, like how we extract energy from the world to then go out and use and and. Yeah. I talk a lot about this idea that the next iteration of clean energy, I, I want to like literally go past what we see now of the solar, the wind, all of that, whatever this next iteration of clean energy capture and utilization looks like, it, I will bet anyone, dare I, dare I say a whole Bitcoin? Dare I say a whole Bitcoin? I will bet that it comes out of the. Bitcoin you better lever up, bro. You got to go 100x or bust. Use leverage. Yeah. If there's anything we've learned from what's going on right now in the markets, it's. I mean, yeah. Let me just quickly check if I can afford. Yeah, I mean, look, it's 16.5. Bitcoin, Bitcoin's price right now is at 16.5. So, like, I, I theoretically could, I would, I would comfortably bet a whole Bitcoin, saying, the oh my God. next iteration of clean energy utilization capture will come out of the Bitcoin mining space because they're incentivized to yeah. find this. Yeah. Like right. we, right. we are watching, we talk I, like shout out my boy over in Hawaii, Nathaniel Harmon, who we're going to hang out with this weekend. Mm -hmm. He is working on geothermal energy capture to then utilize that energy capture to then go out and mine Bitcoin with that. It's, it's, amazing to see how creative Bitcoiners can be. And then it goes a step further too. It's not just about, okay, how do we power the Bitcoin miners? Well, there's 
energy that's being wasted, even in the process of just powering these miners, how do we then capitalize on this extra energy? How many different videos do we see of conversations happening around, oh, I used Bitcoin miners to keep my water heater going, or right. hey, I installed Bitcoin miners in my floor to have heated floors now, or I'm even seeing like conversations happening that someone seems to have figured out a way to desalinate salt water off of the heat of Bitcoin miners. If that actually has happened, like the world has changed forever. Like this, this issue of, oh, we're about to run out of water in California and Arizona is not going to be a thing. I'm telling you full stop, like it won't be. And it is truly remarkable what we see come out of this space. And there is my favorite statistic to point out. There is a direct correlation between the amount of energy a society uses and how advanced, historically speaking, that society has reached or has become. So if with that in mind, any sort of climate activist who says we use too much energy and we need to use less genuinely does not understand humanity, the cycles of humanity, and wants to see humanity grow. In fact, I would argue that they are probably an alien or even one of our robot overlords that is controlling the matrix, trying to trick you into believing that energy is a bad thing. When there's clear data that shows otherwise, but you know, trust the science. Am I right, guys? One hundred percent. I agree. I'm not really sure it's 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 alien, the alien theory, but I, I do agree. I do agree with the rest of it, and I do think that like the argument of we use too much energy is a like is a well-intentioned argument, but I, I think it's faulty, right? And and that's when I think like you can have a, a good faith conversation with another person across the table and say. All right, well, let's break that down. What do you mean by use too much energy? And then, all right, well, do you mean use too much dirty energy, polluting too much, you know, whatever it is. And like, you can get towards a Bitcoin angle around that. And to your point, Q, like the the absolute innovation of the technology is stack. I've had to rewrite my environmental chapter like three times because every time I feel like I'm done with it, oh, they're using like oceans now to like mine Bitcoin, you know, whatever it is. So, you know, Nate Harmon is like literally just using the water different, like the temperature in the ocean to like, I know, you know, it's so fucking create cool. energy. And, and I think there's there's also valid arguments say, hey, like there's a lot of wasted energy out there that can be monetized and, you know, used for this purpose. And, you know, there, there's no other purpose or use case for the energy that's out there. And, and whether or not you like it, like the energy is being wasted, like literally just burnt off into the atmosphere. So if we can monetize some of that energy and promote the growth of like new renewable green energy sources, then that's really like a win-win for everybody. And there's, there's no other technology that has the ability to do that, right? You know, Bitcoin mining is location agnostic. They're going to move. They're, gonna, they're motivated to get the lowest energy price. And, you know, for the foreseeable future, that's going to be like green energy and wasted energy sources that are stranded. And you're not competing against other customers. You're not driving up the price of electricity. You're not taking electricity out of like orphanages and hospitals. Like you're actually just like monetizing stuff that's going to get wasted otherwise. So that conversation with people who, who are coming from like a good place, like they want to do the right thing. Like you can probably get, get there with somebody who, can appreciate like their feelings and their thinking about it and then sort of guide them in the right direction about how Bitcoin mining actually helps the grid and it helps renewables and it helps energy and it helps us like come up, like you said, use more energy to, to build society, but do it in a renewable, sustainable, green way, which is what, you know, the people that we're talking about, my target audience, that's what they want. So or, or even, you know, because I think we just triggered our entire Rumble audience and like yep. half of our normal <laughs> audience anyways with some of those catchphrases. Like it yep. can be as simple as like feeding that narrative to the people – going back to the beginning of the conversation, the people who value those things need to hear that about Bitcoin to better understand and accept it. And for those of you who think climate change doesn't exist, green energy, not like all that stuff is hocus pocus baloney, whatever – you still need and require Bitcoin miners to have access to cheap and ready and not ready, but cheap and consistent energy sources so that they can continue to operate the blockchain as a whole. Otherwise, you are just in the same boat as everyone else when no one has access to energy and all Bitcoin miners can shut down which will not happen because thank God Econo Alchemist is somewhere out there in the world for all of us. <laughs> 
He's going to keep it going. <laughs> and I think that goes just, I mean, just to reiterate the point that I made, you know, like, who do you want explaining Bitcoin to these, like this audience, right? Is it somebody who can just relate with them and say, yeah, like I, like I care about the environment and not all Bitcoiners agree with like my environmental stance, but if I can connect with people and I can have that conversation with people and sort of get them starting to think about Bitcoin in a more serious way, instead of it's a waste, it's only bad, right? Then I, I think that's a win for for the network. It's a win for those people. It's a win for everybody. And it just increases adoption. It increases like understanding and education about Bitcoin. And, and I don't know, I, I think that you should probably be in favor of that if you care about Bitcoin. So. Yeah, absolutely. Let's, let's talk now a little bit more about sort of the international ongoings with Bitcoin. And in particular, I want to talk I mentioned Russia and Iran in particular. You know, these are not necessarily allies to the United States, especially in 2022. Right. And, you know, I, I had a conversation a few months back with a dear friend from college. And, you know, after he had already called Bitcoin a Ponzi scheme to me, then I was like, right, but we live in the country with the global reserve currency. Like right. other countries in the world are are already adopting and using like El Salvador has adopted Bitcoin. Like you have Iran and Russia announcing that they are going to accept Bitcoin for international trade. And then he goes, yeah, like we do a lot of business with Russia, Iran, and El Salvador. You're not selling me on this. So what about this sort of growing uncomfort, if you will, with our adversaries adopting Bitcoin? Yeah, I mean, I I think that I don't know that El Salvador is is an adversary, but to the I, w, I, let me rephrase that to the WEF and the IMF, sure, they are viewed sure. as the worst yeah. of the worst, right? And and I and I think that like the thing that the common thread through all of the countries and the nation states that you mentioned are that either they've been sanctioned or sort of had some punitive action taken against them, and the dollar or the SWIFT network has been weaponized. Or in the case of El Salvador, they're a dollarized nation since the turn of the century. And they're at the whim of sort of the Federal Reserve without any sort of representation whatsoever of, of having to use dollars. Central African Republic is using you know, CFA franc, CAF francs. And so all of those, like either through sanctions or some sort of penalty or being forced to live under some sort of, you know, some other nation's monetary technology and hegemony, all of these nations are connected in that way. So it, it does not surprise me that, you know, these are these are the places that you're seeing Bitcoin adoption pick up, right? And, and as we say, like Bitcoin is money for enemies. I think that the the unease in in like our adversaries using Bitcoin, if you're thinking about Russia or Iran, I have absolutely like there's no love lost for me like with Russia like it's not like I'm a Vladimir Putin fan but I do think that a lot of Americans don't really have a clear picture on like the devastation that sort of dollar hegemony uh, hegemony has wreaked all over this world for decades the advantage it's given America at the expense of not only people in other countries, like poor people all around the world are like damaged by the fact that the dollar is the global reserve currency and that we have sort of leverage over every single other nation, but it also has trickle down effects to like harm poor people in America. So I think that the ability to say there is another way, like there is an ability for not just Russia to use Bitcoin and this other sort of monetary technology. It's absolutely, it's a possibility for all nations to do this. And if you if you really want to buy into the idea that the dollar should be the global reserve currency and that the United States should have this privileged place in the international sort of like economic order, you really have to grapple with a lot of like heinous things that have happened since, you know, well, the last century to either leverage that privilege or that privilege, keep it in place. There's a lot of trouble there too. So I think that in my mind and in my thinking, like the idea that there's an option that's stateless, that you can sort of go and adapt, anybody can adopt it and use it, is, is, a, better, is a better technology for the world. And it might actually like damage some important wealthy people in America if we make that change. But that, that's my thinking about it, is that we've caused a lot of hurt and damage all over the world by promoting and maintaining the dollar in its hegemonic state. So I'm ready for something new. <laughs> uh, 
I was pulling a pee for a second, but no, I mean, you, you, you laid it out so perfectly that you're talking about two countries that have been sanctioned, who are disincentivized now from using the dollar, that the dollar has been weaponized now for the better part of the last 50 to 60 years to a point where it's almost like, a, well, if you don't bend to our will, not only will we not give you access to the dollars, but we're probably going to overthrow you and kill you without like overtly saying it. Yeah, It's a... It's an interesting thing. And we we see this conversation on Rumble a lot. So this maybe isn't necessarily the progressive bend, but I do think there's a there's a tone in there or at least a, a part of this conversation that progressives sort of align with. So mm -hmm. the part that I see from the Rumble crowd a lot is this idea and the narrative that, you know, the people who control the money are not just gonna be like, oh yeah, here you go, here's the money. Right. Yeah, we don't we don't want to control the money printers anymore. It wasn't actually as fun and dandy as we made it out to seem. So, sure, you guys think you could do better? Here you go, Bitcoin or something. No, Jim Johnson's over on Rumble. You ask this question all the time. Today's the day we are gonna address it just for you. How do progressives see the exact same question? Oh, Jim Johnson, are you triggered? Are you triggered that you actually think like a progressive? Because <laughs> let me tell you, you actually do. You are a progressive because progressives in the same fucking vein are like right but we already have a currency and it works like why do we need to change it like what like it doesn't it works work for me but like it works for me so like why do we need to change it? it's the same fucking thing if you right. think the powers that be will not overturn the money that's the same conversation in my opinion as right but the money works so why do we need to change it so how do we address that broad topic i mean i you know i is that a question for me? <laughs> I I presented to to you or P if you want to take a jab at it by all means. No, I want to hear I want to hear Jason. Yeah, I mean I I mean I devote I, I devote a whole chapter in my book to you know the like the cost of dollar hegemony right and what is it that the like when we say oh the U.S. dollar is backed by the the U.S. military what what do we mean by that it means like you said well if you're gonna if you're gonna do some sort of political geopolitical move that undercuts the dollar as a reserve currency then in a couple of weeks you're not gonna be in power anymore and it's gonna be sort of hush hush and we're gonna make it happen I, I think that there's plenty of progressive people who look, take a look around the world and say yeah we are like America is taking advantage of these other countries in sort of an economic way, in a geopolitical way, leaning on, you know, countries to do their bidding, vote for, with them at the UN or whatever it is. There's all sorts of political levers that happen. And, it, and it, I don't want to say all, but a lot of it can be tied back to the money and the fact that we control the money and we get to sort of control the world reserve currency. And so a lot of damage is just a lot of damage has been done and it affects poor people and, you know, disadvantaged communities all over the world. And I think that's something that progressive people like care about, don't generally know a lot about like our, our American media doesn't talk a lot about this. And I don't know that like a progressive's are like just primed anymore just to believe, oh, America is the good guy and we're going to do whatever they say, whatever geopolitical situation happens, I'm just going to like, it's my patriotic duty to stand by that, right? Like they're questioning stuff and they're saying, all right, like the, the behaviors that I'm seeing all around the world is not something I'm very proud of. So I think that like the, the pump is primed for progressive people to say, hey, like this is another thing. This is another problem with the current system, right? like it works for me is, is, is not deep enough thinking like the dollar and the dollar system and like the, the, the policies that uphold it are already broken and damaged and hurt people all around the world. And if you're not willing to think about that deeply, then like, like why are you caring about the environment? Like, why are you caring about equality? Why are you caring about people? If you're not caring about people in other countries that are damaged by these policies. So I think that there's an audience there. I think that there's a lot of education to be done. I don't know that your typical like voter who's who just went out yesterday and voted for, you know, straight down the Democratic column is thinking about these things. So there's opportunity there, you know, to, to educate them. P, do you have as much faith in the American in the average American to be educated as much as Jason does? On on which specific axis? Just you know, oddly, I'll, I'll open the door to just anything because what's the famous George Carlin quote of just realize how dumb the average American is 
and then remember that half of them are dumber than that. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, it's really tough. There are so many things that are happening in all of our day-to-day lives. I think it's very easy to, to fall prey to the attacks on attention that are constantly being leveraged against us, right? Systems are in place to distract you, not even necessarily nefariously, right? But everything, all you, you know, as I like to say so often, you show me the incentives, I'll show you the outcome. Systems that effectively get you angry, get you excited, steal your attention, those make the most money. It's the reason that TikTok, like when I, if I open TikTok, it's like, I feel like I'm literally, my eyeballs are being attacked. It's so just like in your face designed to pull all your attention immediately. Twitter is the same way, though on on a different axis, all these systems are there. Then you layer in the narratives that are actively being pushed, that are designed to distract you, convince you of things that aren't true around, you know, I mean, just pick any random WEF agenda and it's fucking atrocious and horrible, right? Literally, you will own nothing and you will be happy. It's horrifying stuff. I guess I'm saying all this because we are all, each of us, fighting an uphill battle. And I think it's really important that we empathize with everyone. Even we are incredibly lucky that the circumstances in our life have allowed us to discover Bitcoin at the various points that we've discovered it. And a lot of that is luck, you know? And I think that we can empathize with people who haven't yet got there. And I think that we can hold ourselves accountable and that moral imperative I mentioned at the very beginning for educating them. So I do have faith in the average person. I do have faith that we can all be brought into Bitcoin. There will always be, you know, bad apples, but the majority of people, Bitcoin is actually so fucking compelling. It's if you can just find the the specific wedge, the specific problem that Bitcoin solves for each group or for each individual, they immediately get it. And they're like, oh my God. And their head explodes and they are fully orange pilled. And I think that's why I'm so excited about this conversation in this book is because this is a, there, there isn't enough progressive media that is, or there is not enough media that is, that is specifically trying to bring Bitcoin to people that have a progressive viewpoint. And so in short, I have faith. And that doesn't, it's not blind faith. That's not to say that we, it's not, doesn't take a ton of effort, a ton of energy. We're here every day talking about Bitcoin, but I think we can get there. And on that note, Jason, I'm curious, you know, obviously you've taken the time to break down your, your book that's going to be coming out soon. And I want to talk about that a little bit. Like when is it coming out? When can people expect Mm -hmm. it? Where can they read it? But before we get into that, what are the, if you had to list like three topics that you feel are the most misunderstood from a progressive viewpoint? What do you think those are? Yeah, no, it's a, it's a, that's a great question. So you mean like sort of what are the hurdles to get somebody? Yeah, who's yeah, sorry, I should have said it that Bitcoin. way. Yeah, yeah um, someone's you meet them at Thanksgiving, they're like, oh, I heard Bitcoin eats children right, and babies, right. <laughs> you know. But what do they what do they actually say? Yeah, so uh, honestly, you know, I have the, these are the these are the people I'm around all the time, right? And <laughs> these are like I'm talking to people who have the same bumper stickers on their car as me. So you know, I. I the conversations follow the same sort of pattern, right? Like one, number one, A1A is the environment. Like this is the FUD that's going out there and controlling sort of the initial conversation. Believe it or not, we're still hearing cr- like criminals like use it. So like that, that's not hard to, I know. Uh, but, you know, again, like you said, like everybody sort of finds it in, in their own time. So they Absolutely. have to work and through these things, right? That's a strong neuron um, that's being pushed. And, and then I think that there's just a, a general sort of a skepticism about the fact that this is something that's on the internet that has made other people money, right? And so like whenever you, you're talking about like a system that exists on computers that has made people money, then there's a, you know, you say like a healthy skepticism. I need to really learn a lot about this before I'm going to sort of like push all the chips into it. Those are, I think those are the hurdles and not notice, like not a lot of them are about like actual progressive values. (laughs) It's just like the environmental thing is obviously the other is just like normal things that might, you know, like trip up anybody who's trying to get into Bitcoin. The, you know, I think that the number one thing about the, like, a left-leaning person out there. And I'm not talking, just to be clear, I'm not talking about established, like elected Democrats. <laughs> you know, I'm talking about like people who vote for those people because like they really think that's the best choice, right? I'm talking about like normal people out in the real world. You know, they see the system is is broken and wrong and unfair and advantaging the few at the expense of the many. I think all of that's true. And, and I think that they just sort of have limited scope about what's the cause of that. And, and I think that, you know, what I explain in the, in the book is that 
you know, voting for a liberal politician to fix these problems is just turning dials within the current system. Like you're just trying to make things a little bit more fair in the broken system. So you're not really getting anywhere or you're not making huge advancements. And Bitcoin represents this whole other system. It's a whole different game, right? So instead of just sort of like handicapping, nudging, adjusting, turning the dial on this whole broken thing that exists that, that exists now, we have an opportunity to kind of explore a whole new game, whole new system that's already more fair, more transparent, more helpful, makes more sense right from the beginning. And, and I think that that's the opportunity uh, for the progressive person, like the pre-coiner who's uh, a liberal is to say, all these things that you don't like about how the world works right now is tied into how the money is broken. And you might not see it because the politicians certainly aren't telling you. And they're, the politicians are motivated to keep you ignorant about that idea. But like all of those things are tied into how the money is broken. And that's a huge opportunity. And, you know, that's that was something that like right leaning libertarians picked up on a lot quicker. But it's not like there aren't people on the left who are like, yeah, like this whole thing is messed up. Like, how, how do we fix it? So. I love it. A long answer to your question. <laughs> no, no, it was good. It was solid. What do you think is the weirdest, maybe not the weirdest, the, a piece of FUD against Bitcoin that you are surprised how often it still comes up when you're in these conversations? Yeah. I mean, you know, that's, that's interesting. I mean, and again, not to repeat it, but like the, like energy stuff is number one. So we just put that aside. Right. I think that, you know, I've had conversations with people just like we were just talking about, and this person will agree with me. Yeah, the system's broken and it's not fair. And like the U.S. is is like leveraging advantage over other countries, and that's not fair. And you know the Cantillon effect is making rich people richer, and that's not fair. And like just agreeing with everything I say. I mean, yeah, but who's to say that the whole thing doesn't get unplugged and it's going to unwind? And I'm like, ah, <laughs> you know what I mean? They're just like they're they're essentially like literally just orange pilled, and then they just just make a left turn at the very end. So I just, you know, part of it is sort of the technical understanding, like, how does it work? How do you know it's secure? You know, the fact that it hasn't been hacked and all this stuff is part of the conversation, but it's just really kind of, you know, and the, the idea that, you know, that the news highlights these things, like what happened yesterday, oh, another exchange collapse. And that means Bitcoin is bad or something, right? Like it's just low information people, who don't know a lot and are just going to sort of be stuck in their ways. So, yeah. I wanted to bring this up. I got to shift the topic, but because, you know, yeah. this is a story we've been covering since Friday, the reports we had yesterday of Binance offering to purchase FTX.com pending due diligence. There are reports coming out of the Wall Street Journal that Binance is going to be pulling out of this deal based on said due diligence. The rumor mill is I've seen everything from they own five they FTX owes five hundred million dollars all the way to they owe six billion dollars. So that's that's the spread we got on Ooh. this FTX nightmare. If you thought these Bitcoin prices are the bottom, I have bad news. <laughs> <laughs> I have really bad news if you thought this was the bottom. Oh Jesus! But again, it's it's a. Uh, it's based on the perception of the market, not the actual value of Bitcoin. Because I think we were talking about yesterday, like FTX does not actually own very much Bitcoin. It's not like they're selling Bitcoin and dumping on the market, correct? Right. That's correct. However, this was a really important thing I noticed, or I caught this little tidbit from Twitter. FTX still was holding Bitcoin, not as sort of their, on their balance sheet, but clients were holding their Bitcoin in the exchange itself. That has depleted. There were 20,000 Bitcoin on FTX that are no longer there. So whether that's people were liquidating, getting spooked, or if people were hopefully self-custodying, sending it to some sort of cold storage wallet and becoming their own independent sovereign individual in a bank, I hope it's the latter. But if it's the former, just sell me your cheap sats, my friends. Like That's right. Yeah. It, and and the, I, I mean, I, I'm not like... 
part of this, I'm, I'm grateful that I don't need to really be an expert, right? I just buy my Bitcoin, put it in my cold, you know, cold storage, you know, and, and then you just don't buy with leverage. You don't buy more than, than you can afford to lose, right? So you just, it's all there. But I, I think that news stories like this and what, like we've been sort of immersed in it, you know, for the last couple of days, last few days, um, somebody who's just sort of like just getting into Bitcoin right now is like totally freaked out, right? They see the price tank. They see these news stories. They don't really understand the connection between what's this FTX, what's this finance, what's Bitcoin. Like I hear Bitcoin is broken, like all of that stuff, right? It's just like I said, it's low information, you know, consumers and or people who are just getting started, right? And through like really no fault of their own, they don't understand. And I get text messages from people. I have orange pill. I got three or four yesterday. What is what's happening? And so one by one, I had to like sort of text like a quick version. Here's what's happening. Nothing's wrong with Bitcoin, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that kind of stuff. So, you know, it's just, I guess that's the responsibility you take on when you orange pill people, right? You got to calm them down sometimes. So. Totally. We were, we were talking about it at the very beginning of today's episode too, with, you know, what is causing this price downturn? We are, Bitcoin has seemingly recovered 17K. I say seemingly because by the end of my mini rant, it could very well, I've gone all the way to 18K or could go down to 15K. Who fucking knows right now? And Pete presented the question of, you know, what is the reason that this is happening? To your point, Jason, I yesterday posted on my Instagram feed, like, hey, if you have money in FTX, anything, whether it's a cryptocurrency or just like you have dollars there, get it off. Put it somewhere else. If you can put it in Bitcoin, take it to cold storage. I DMs overflowing. Is this the end of Bitcoin? Is this the end of crypto? Should I just sell everything? Mm-hmm. And while we may be sort of able to see things and aware of the ongoing news in real time the, the every man is not people don't devote their lives to this unfortunately in the way that we do and i think that's what we're seeing in real time we're seeing to your point people who are not in this because they see the full potential of bitcoin they see the oh i can i could be a usd millionaire if right. i if I have just enough Bitcoin and hold it for just long enough, like I'll, ha- I'll be a millionaire in dollar terms. Let me tell you, by the time you're a millionaire in dollar terms, because of the 0.0001 Bitcoin you hold, you got bigger fucking problems because a gallon of milk is going to cost you $1.5 million <laughs> USD. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and I think to, to the wider point, right? Like this on one level, this is all, good for the right we're wiping out like you know these companies that are taking risky bets and we're going to emerge stronger from this the price drop is going to put more pressure on miners so you know mining companies have to like make decisions and be efficient or go out of business there's no bailouts for for that right so all of this is like good there's there's absolutely nothing that has changed about the bitcoin protocol i get people now that like they've just in real life people that know me and know that i'm writing a book like they they relish the opportunity to come up to me in the hallway and say, oh, coins down. And as if that's something that affects me or something, right? And like, well, no, it's TikTok, 10 minutes, it's up, it's still going. <laughs> you, know? you know, like the idea of like what you think tick, you know, Bitcoin is down means is, is not what I think Bitcoin is down means, right? Bitcoin is up and running and working it's the same way that it did yesterday. And so, I mean, it, it, is, it should be obvious that if the fundamentals of the network and the technology haven't changed, then, you know, what we have right now is an opportunity. Right. Yeah. Set up your set up your automatic buys and and go with it. <laughs> See, Jason, you explained that so well. For to reuse my favorite quote for the that average American intellect, that was really helpful for the people who are above the average <laughs> American intellect. Not so much for the people below. For the smooth brain people who just <laughs> there and look at price, who can't even put two and two together and recognize or realize, oh, this has literally happened in the history of Bitcoin. Every single time it goes through this cyclical motion of all time high to a new low to a new all time high to a new a new like intermediary lower. However, I don't even feel like getting like hyper technical about this because I want this to be a conversation that anyone can access and, and understand without being overwhelmed. We see the narrative Bitcoin is dead. We Bitcoin magazine sends out the meme all the time of these are all the different price points that right. mainstream media or different pundits have said Bitcoin is dead. And it's literally like the, the whole chart up and down. I guess the where I want to take the question, Jason, is do you think 
some normies or the conversation in normie land will start to turn into, see, Bitcoin was a scam. Don't touch Bitcoin. Or because I, I at least feel like in this iteration of the bear market, you haven't seen places like CNBC turn around and stop discussing Bitcoin and Bitcoin mining. You actually still continue to see them discuss the price of Bitcoin on a day-to-day -day basis, no different than they discuss the price of the NASDAQ, Dow Jones, and S&P 500. They've essentially validated it in the financial sort of conversation. Do you feel like you know crazy drawdowns yet again for how many bear markets technically do we have now? Like four, seven? Mm -hmm. 101. I don't know how old. However old P is, is however many bear markets Bitcoin will have. <laughs> sure. But the point I'm trying to get to essentially is like, mm -hmm. is this going to just be another one of those moments where, you know, the fair weather Bitcoin fans will will look at things and say, oh, see, like Bitcoin crashed. Whereas those of us who are truly convicted will be like, oh, no, this is this is that generational buying opportunity that we've been waiting the last two years right. for. Right. And and I think that ultimately, like anybody without conviction about Bitcoin, right, there, there's people out there who don't have a conviction about Bitcoin because they don't understand it yet and they haven't learned, they haven't been exposed. And then there's people who own it because they think they're going to get sort of fiat rich, right? In both of those cases, I think that you do run the risk still of saying, oh, see, like it's broken, it's dead. And that's why it's a meme, right? Because it, it keeps happening. I do think at some point in the future, and it's hard to say when, like we see the Bitcoin's the only thing left, right? Like everything else has is, is, is been a scam or dropped down or, or died off. And then eventually you, you have a turning point where people, you know, and just the analogy I used earlier, right? Like the internet and cell phones and email, like all of these things sort of just like sort of creep into the popular culture. Like people start using them like Bitcoin is going to probably be like the back rails of a lot of financial things in, in five, 10 years, people aren't even going to be like understanding that like they're really actually using Bitcoin. Like it's just going to sort of seep into the, into popular culture and all of that. So I think that eventually we hit a turning point and we don't need to worry about the meme anymore. I don't think that today's that day. I think, that, you know, based on, like you said, like the, the DMS I'm getting and like the messages I'm getting from friends and family that like, or people who are sort of like thinking that like Bitcoin is is a problem, and then they're sort of like, you know, still, you know, spiking the football. All of all of those suggest that we're still in a stage where it's like, all right, well, Bitcoin's broken or or whatever. So, I, the what's the key, right? Is like getting more people with the conviction about Bitcoin and truly understand it, right? If we can just sort of grow adoption, increase education about Bitcoin, get more people interested in learning more about it, that's exactly what like stops it, right? So we're gonna reach a tipping point. I don't know when that is. It's not yet though. We're still on it. We haven't tipped. <laughs> so I want to present a scenario again from the Rumble crowd, just mm -hmm. the tangible asset argument. Because, you know, as as we're bearing witness to what will be the worst global recession ever, ever known by our generation after we've already lived through two, three. But how many recessions have you lived through? Eight? Because you you were around in the Great Depression. In 69. 69, okay. So <laughs> P, P is our resident Great Depression expert, having lived through it both as a toddler and, and as an adult. Yeah. Everybody knows this. I'm a Highlander. <laughs> I live forever. It's, these are facts. So with, with that sort of in mind, let's play out this scenario where, all right, I don't know, Jason, have you, have you read The Mandibles? I have not read the mandibles. Oh, you got to read the mandibles. Highly recommend. It. It's it's so I'm writing it down right now. <laughs> oh, okay. It, it's it's amazing. But uh, the long and the short of it is an elite family, like truly elite, like to the point where like they have monogrammed like forks and knives type of stuff. As the dollar just completely craters collapses and we deal with hyperinflation, like this family now has to deal with the fact that, hey, like you're just a normal person. You are no longer part of this like exclusive elite club. Mm -hmm. uh, and like the one sibling who decided years ago to like just circumvent civilization, say adios to the city and bought a farm and started farming is like the most, like, at least he's able to survive. He's able to grow his foods, his, his food. He's able to do what he needs to do. 
in this type of scenario because everyone at rumble just thinks society is about to crumble and that you know this is the iteration where humanity will fail because you know humanity has failed so many times in the past that history will dictate that we will fail again literally humans are the most like successful being on the planet minus i think bacteria given the Mm -hmm. fact that how far we've come and grown p will you trade me your chickens for my bitcoin stack in the event that you know society is crumbled and there's no food at the grocery store, specifically Nietzsche, I want Nietzsche. I mean, yeah, you're gonna. Well, I trade you a chicken for Bitcoin. Yeah, sure, I'll sell you one if I have the ability to do so. But it's gonna be. Let's be really clear, because in this scenario, Bitcoin is gonna be worth like the today equivalent of like five million dollars of fucking Bitcoin. So you're gonna have to, you know pay me in today's Bitcoin price. That's the only way it's happening. We're locking this in now. So I want like a full Bitcoin for this one chicken, which is going to be produced an egg every one to three days. And it's going to save your family's life. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> Can I name my firstborn after you? To no, I don't give a shit. The price. I, want, I just want that. I want that Bitcoin. It's the only thing I'll take. <laughs> but, See, so it's a, it is a tangible asset to the right person, to the right buyer. And that's, that's something I want to talk about is liquidity. Good luck trying to sell all of your houses in the middle of a housing collapse or the the JPEG issues of, oh, I think this is worth X number of dollars. Well, you can think whatever you want, but if no one's going to pay you that price, so to your point, P, I will not pay you $5 million for one chicken. So maybe this is <laughs> your loss. Like, what thought. It's your loss. But I want to ask, I wanna, uh, as we kind of wind down, Jason, I want to ask those questions just, you know, that we talked about just a second ago. So can you tell everybody what your book is called again, when it's going to be coming out, where they can get access to it? In the meantime, how they can stay in touch with you and follow you as you continue your your journey to Orange Pill, all the progressives in the United States and the world, also space. Yeah, that, that's the goal, right? Everybody will, you know, in 50 years, they're not going to be called Bitcoiners, be called people, right? <laughs> so that's the hope. So yeah, if you if you want to follow along with me, my Twitter handle is is on the screen there. I think it's at cjasonmayer. And, you know, I just, you can sort of get updates and things like that on Twitter. If you want to check out the book or take a look at sort of the summary or a description of it, there's a website called coinprogressive.com. So you can head over there and take a look at the book. And then uh, there's a couple of other like podcasts I've been on just to get a full sense, right? We can't hit everything on, on this one interview. So so that's a good place to go. I think the, the book is going to be out. The goal is this coming summer. So like I said at the beginning, I'm a teacher, work on an academic schedule. I busted my hump like all summer to just get as much written as I could. I'm in a good spot now and I wake up every morning at 5 a.m. So I can actually work on my book before my kids wake up. So that, that's my chunk of time every day that I work on it. All that said, like the book comes out this summer, you know, the, there's a little window there, hopefully sooner rather than later. And honestly, you know, the goal is not to change anybody's political views or convince people that Bitcoin is for progressive people only. It's just trying to get no coiners who are turned off by like the resources that are out there and give them a new resource, get them orange pill, get them into Bitcoin, have them, like I say, like my book is not the last book they're going to read. It's the first book they're going to read about Bitcoin. So I'm just trying to get people from zero to one, you know? So good stuff. Yeah. Well, thank you. Do you want me to talk about the chickens or like the? (laughs) (laughs) Would you trade a whole Bitcoin for a chicken right now? Uh, Well, I haven't checked the price in five minutes, so who who the hell knows how much a Bitcoin is? (laughs) We are we're as as we want. So we're back under seventeen k. Like I said, like yeah, yeah. All right. Price doesn't matter. I I think I'll keep the Bitcoin and 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 figure out a different chicken strategy for myself. You answer correctly. You answer correctly. Yeah, absolutely. Um, All right. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you guys. I I had a lot of fun. This is, these are, you asked some really good questions. Well, thank you so much. We try, we do our best. I want to remind everyone that especially in these moments when the Bitcoin price is going down, it's more important than ever to stay optimistic, follow, you know, the people on Twitter, follow the people that are going to imbue you with hope. We try to be those people. If you enjoy this, give us a follow, but also check out Bitcoin Magazine, where you 
will find incredible articles, including the ones which I've been posting in the chat, which is how to get your Bitcoin off of exchanges. It is extremely important. FTX will not be the last exchange to go bust in this period. We are going through unprecedented turmoil in the markets, the macroeconomic environments, and in Bitcoin. Don't get fucked. Do not leave your Bitcoin on exchanges. Make sure you know how to take them off, take it off safely and effectively. Don't freak out and just go do it and lose all your Bitcoin because again, there are no backseas if you do. On that note, I want to remind everybody that you can use code BM Live to get access to Bitcoin 2023 tickets on BitcoinMagazine.com. You can also use code BM Live to save 10% on the print edition of the magazine, which is incredible. Check it out. We'll see you tomorrow. Same time, same place. Hey guys, this is Q from Bitcoin Magazine Live. Come celebrate Bitcoin winter in Miami at Bitcoin 2023. The largest Bitcoin conference in the world returns to Miami from May 18th to the 20th. Head on over to b.tc forward slash conference to get your tickets today. Use promo code BMLIVE to get 10% off of your tickets before prices go up. Bitcoin is for everyone, lefties, righties, and rejectors of the false dichotomy alike. And that is why the newest Bitcoin Magazine print edition is called The Orange Party Issue. It features articles by President Naya Bukele, Jeff Deist, Beauty On, Natalie Smolensky, Eric Kaysen, Max Kaiser, and Jimmy Song. Get your copy at your local Barnes & Noble's bookstore or from the Bitcoin Magazine store at store.bitcoinmagazine.com and use promo code BMLIVE to get 10% off your annual subscription today. If you're like me and want to gain a deeper understanding of what's going on within the Bitcoin market and broader macro environment, you need to subscribe to Bitcoin Magazine Pro today. There's both a free and paid version of this daily newsletter where our market analysts break down what's going on in the markets so you don't have to. Subscribe today at BitcoinMagazinePro.com.